0: All right. Welcome, everybody. This is episode 20. We've made it to episode 20 here on the Portland Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, as always, Tucker Maryhugh, and I'm here with my co-host in our virtual studio, Steve Nassar. What's happening, Steve-o?
1: Hey, Tucker. Not a whole lot. Did you just say you you can't believe we're on episode 20?
0: Yeah, well, 20s <laughs> you know, on the other show that I host, we're almost to 100, but the first 20 are usually the hardest, but these have actually gone by really, really quickly, and it's just crazy. We're on 20 already.
1: I, I agree fully. Yep. Time has flown by.
0: But with that said, this will probably be our last show through the holidays. we got a short week next week and the week after, and I'm leaving town, and Steve's probably leaving town, too. So this will probably be our last show of 2015. But uh, with that said, we've got a great show already planned for the first week of 2016. But before we get there, this show is mainly going to be about what's going on in the market. Uh, we got a lot to talk about there in terms of locally and then also on a national level. But before we get to that, what's going on with you and your business week, Steve? Anything notable that uh, we could mention?
1: Yeah, so a couple things going on. On the broker side of things, I had an interesting TRID experience. And TRID is the new legislative change that requires basically three new days once there's a substantial change to the terms of a person's transaction. There was a lot of hype around this. And I think in, most people haven't had a lot of the problems that were expected to have happen. However, I did have a delay, and I'll kind of talk through exactly what happened, so it, maybe it can help others avert this. Yeah, I'd little. like to
0: hear about it personally, because I, I haven't had any of the hang-ups yet, but I, I'm sure it's just a matter of time, so I'm curious what happened with you and your transaction. So what ours was about was
1: one of my buyer's agents had written up an offer, and they were requesting a large sum of closing costs. I don't remember the exact figure. I don't have it in front of me. I, th- I want to say it was like $8,000, right? And mind you, they had a buyer who who was very, very mm, particular. (laughs) That's the good way to say that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Very particular and and had been challenging to work through in this. Well, docs get out and lo and behold, they don't need $8,000. It was actually only a total of $6,800 needed for closing costs and prepaids. So this buyer rather than walking away from that $1200 was very insistent that that $1200 be used to buy the interest rate down which required a redraw and it triggered trip tri- yeah tri- and what normally would have in the old days have been a couple day delay cuz we were right at closing at this point right turned into about a 6 day delay because you have those three days where you you, the docs just have to sit there and of course you have a weekend always anytime you you're gonna have any more than five business days there's gonna be a week you're guaranteed a weekend's gonna be in there somewhere so it ended up pushing us back about seven days on closing when again under the old system of of this prior to trid that would have just been a couple day snafu So that was one interesting thing we had. So it was a
0: total of six days, basically, it pushed you out on the on the closing versus what the expected close date was going to be. Correct. Yep. Now, back in the day, a situation like that, probably a loan officer maybe changes their fee. $1,200 Twelve hundred dollars and sops up that money. Yeah, and, uh, you know the deal closes and that's how it works. So point is, it's a good thing that sometimes these regulations are out there because it was a little bit of a pain in the butt. But on the flip side, the buyer got that twelve hundred bucks to apply towards their benefit as opposed to just putting in as commission in somebody's pocket.
1: Well, yeah, and the seller charged per diem in our going back and and saying, look, you know, it's going to take us about another week because he wants to sop up that $1,200. They said, okay, well, it's going to cost you X per day to do that, which still worked out better for the buyer. So that was an interesting component to it. You know, along those lines, I do try to stress in my team members that don't ever cut closing costs close when you're asking for concessions. And my rule of thumb is, I mean, if it looks like closing costs are going to be 7,500, don't ask for 7,500. That's just a recipe to leave money on the table. Yeah, Um. Okay. ask for $6,500. I always try to go about 1000 under what you think it's going to be, even though that means, yeah, they're going to come in with a little bit more than if you would cut it really close, but it's so much better. I'm assuming the buyer has the money in their bank account. It's so much better to come in with a little bit more out of their bank account than to just leave money on the table and let the seller s- sop it up. So that's a, just a good learning lesson there, and one that we've tried to do in the past. We didn't do it perfectly on this one, and we, we all learned a valuable lesson.
0: Yeah, well, it got worked out. But yeah, six days. So there's the first Trid uh, hiccup, I guess, that that, that I've heard of. And I'm sure there's other people out there that have had it too. But good to know.
1: Yeah. And so on the uh, brokerage side of things, we've been really, really busy. We've hired a couple really key allies in two areas that we are expecting a lot of growth in 2016. One of them we've talked about on the show before, Gresham. I think I mean, not think, I, I'm very confident we will have a branch in, in Gresham in 2016. We've talked about how, you know, it's the fourth largest city in our state. And obviously it's right here in the metro area. So it's definitely a market that is one that we're focused on. We hired another key reviewing broker there from another company this in here in the last week. And they have quite a bit of opportunity to help us grow in that area. So we're excited. The other area that is a little bit newer And it's not something we had been thinking and talking about, say, even six months ago, but it kind of fell in our lap, is we picked up a key, again, reviewing broker with a lot of ability to pull and and attract brokers in Yamhill County. So... Two areas that we're excited about. Do
0: you guys have an office in Yamhill County already or or no? Here
1: and now today, we do not, but ask me again in a year.
0: (laughs) Okay, all right. So Yamhill County, obviously you're from that area, so you're probably pretty familiar with it. Very uh, much so.
1: Very much so. Even though I will tell you that this person who sits and resides there here now today, I put a lot more... Trust and confidence in his direction as to where the best places would be. We're probably going to go Newburgh first mm-hmm. and then maybe way down the road go a little bit further out to say McMinnville. But I think our first objective would be to get a nice brick and mortar facility in, in Newburgh.
0: Yeah, well, those are, uh, you know, definitely places that have a lot of business potentially for anybody, you know, that's out an office there. But, uh, you know, you guys have a, a hell of a system put together and it seems like, you know, you're just rinsing and repeating at this point. So uh, exactly. I, I assume it will. Do just as well as everything else, which is great. Well, that's cool. So, uh, anything else, or is that pretty much uh, the notable? That's it. This week? What do you got going on? Well, I, I got a few things. First, obviously, we always got a few interesting things. It seems like on the building side, you know, we get to deal with the little more colorful stuff on a weekly basis. And uh, this last week was no exception. We started clearing our Dunthorpe lot. And anytime you're cutting trees of any size, here in Portland, it seems that somebody's always offended. There's just no way around it, even if they don't own your property, which, as we talked about in last week's show, there seems to be a bit of an epidemic I know it's across the nation because I've talked to a lot of other people in other markets, but it's particularly prevalent here in Portland where people who don't own your property feel like they have the right to tell you what you should and shouldn't do with it. So anyway, how this relates to my story is we were clearing our Dunthorpe lot because it's very heavily wooded. It literally is a lot that's never been touched since the beginning of time. So it's got tons of of small scab trees. It's got a bunch of bigger trees that need permitting to be cut. And so what we were doing is going in and clearing out the smaller trees that the the city doesn't care about, which is basically anything less than 12 inches at breast height in diameter. And so our lovely neighbor decided that she was going to let it be known that she didn't like the fact that we were clearing it and she didn't like the fact that a home was going to be built on this lot. And there's a lot of irony here, but the first bit of irony is that she bought a new construction home on a lot that literally was like this prior to the builder who built it 15 years ago, came in and literally clear-cut the entire lot. Not one tree was left. But she wanted to try and tell me that she wanted to dictate what we cut and don't cut. I tried to play nice because that's what we do. And, you know, we're going to be next to each other for the next six to eight months, right? So let's let's play nice. And uh, so I thought I ended it well, and, and we agreed to, you know, try and be copacetic about the whole thing. Well, my guys went back out there the day before yesterday to finish the clearing, and she came out this time. She didn't call me because I told her to call me with any questions. She didn't call me, but she came out with her husband and had her husband kind of tough-talk the tree guys a little bit and tell them that they cannot cut the brush or the underbrush that was basically along the road frontage of our lot because it blocked noise from Terwilliger for their house. And so, you know, again, the tree guy just kind of was like, whatever. He called me, said, look, it's an hour of work when we come back. You know, it's got to be done at some point. I was like, you know what, just leave it. But at this point, I didn't want to create World War III, but my niceties are up with this woman. We'll put it that way. I, I just, you know, it just blows my mind that people really feel like, you know, they have the right to tell you what you can and can't do with your property if they don't own it. And it really has become an epidemic. And. You know, she then went on to threaten the tree guy that she was going to get everybody in the neighborhood against us and them and this and that. So, what she didn't know is that our tree guy actually got hired by the neighbor on the other side to do tree work for him. And uh, he was very, you know, pro development and didn't want to get in the way of progress. And he was happy that a nice new house was going to be put in there. One of the other neighbors is a guy that I bought the property from. I talked to him, kind of got ahead of this a little bit and said, hey, you know, this lady's probably going to talk to whoever's going to listen. She's probably not going to say very nice things about us, but she really doesn't have any reason to do it other than the fact that she just kind of wants to make mortal enemies of us because we're clearing a lot that she thought should forever stay heavily wooded. And so it was an interesting, uh, interesting week dealing with her. It's it's amazing how much politics we have to play with people and how we kind of have to be guidance counselors along with home builders and everything else and just blows me away these days what people think they can tell you that you can and can't do. Did it come up that she had done, or
1: whether she was involved in the process or not, that the same thing, exact same thing had happened on her
0: lot? Um, She bought it after the builder built it. So she wasn't involved there prior to the lot being cleared. But literally the builder that built that, it was he took a lot like our size, and he built two houses on it instead of we're building one you know, he wanted to just more density. We're doing one bigger, more expensive house. He did two slightly lesser expensive houses, but in doing so he clear cut the entire lot, like literally did not leave a single tree on either lot, uh, in order to build those houses. Whereas we're leaving quite a bit of the canopy.
1: Yeah. And by purchasing that property, she validated what he did. She provided compensation to him. So he's going to turn around and do it again. I'm I'm not saying he was right or wrong. I'm just saying, I mean, she fully supported that process. How did it, this come up? Did you
0: know that, or um, did, she, did it come up with her? She, well, what, that, that, that her lot was clear-cut? Yeah. I'm just stating the obvious. Oh. I don't have this conversation yeah. with yeah. Her. I'm just stating the irony of the situation, yeah. but... Uh,
1: yeah. No, that is ironic, and it's funny that she would be so anti
0: that, and then... Yeah. And, and I think that people just kind of need to take a step back and just, you know, be like, okay, you know, when, when was the last time, you know, the neighbor came over and told you what you can and can't do with your property? And would you appreciate that if somebody did? Probably not. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think people just need to learn to check themselves a little better these yeah. days and uh, understand that not every opinion is created equal. Yeah, so good uh, point. Now, beyond that, uh, we've got a new deal that we're going to be uh, closing on here very shortly, actually, just after, right before our next show that we do. And it's a rehab deal. We're not, we're not doing many rehabs these days, but this one is one that uh, I think we're going to keep and actually renovate. And it's in the uh, South Tabor neighborhood. I don't know how familiar you are with that. It's a little pocket. And there's only a few pockets left, I think, in southeast Portland that are, they still have room to improve, you know, price-wise where the neighborhood is actually pretty solid. Brooklyn's one that we talked about, and uh, I think that Brooklyn's going to continue to improve, both in terms of the neighborhood itself and also prices. But this South Tabor neighborhood is just north of Powell, kind of between 65th and 80th. There's a lot of, you know, 50s, 60s ranch style homes, a lot of churches. There's a college over there, Warner Pacific College. It's a good little pocket. I was really surprised how nice it is. And so
1: this will help a lot of our listeners. It's just down the road from Poc Poc. (laughs) Okay. A very well-known, very good restaurant there on Division, just, just down the way there.
0: So it's a good little pocket. I haven't done a project in this pocket before and we've done projects all over the place, but after I drove through it, you know, I was like, you know, this is actually a really nice pocket for the what you're paying in that area comparatively to the, you know, Clinton or Hawthorne or Reed or, you know, the surrounding areas now where prices have jumped quite a bit. So pretty excited about that. We're going to kick that off just after the New Year on a more entertaining front. I actually had a number of Christmas parties this weekend. I'm sure, I'm sure everybody did. I don't know if you guys have had your big you know, company Christmas party yet or not. Have you, Steve? The the company
1: had the Christmas party last Thursday. That's right. Yep.
0: Okay, so last Thursday. So we had our TTM company Christmas party Saturday night. But prior to that, I had one of our um, subcontractors that we use for all of our finished work in our houses. They had a uh, Christmas party for all the builders that they do work for and their employees and whatnot. And we go every year. So anyway, we went this year, and I had the chance to actually meet – the project manager for Everett Custom Homes. Nice guy. And we were kind of swapping stories of, you know, in the trenches and kind of the crazy stuff that we deal with. It's sort of like what I mentioned previously here. But he told me a story. There's this guy in town, and apparently he's for hire by neighborhoods that are kind of anti development, we'll say. And what what he'll do is well, first of all, his name is Frogman. That's what <laughs> that's literally what he goes by. And he also literally wears a frog mask. And neighborhoods can hire him to basically hang around the job sites and just pester the hell out of builders, their subs, and anybody else. And he'll also climb trees. He'll, he'll do tree sits, you know, if they're trying to prevent you from cutting trees down. Well, apparently Frogman was uh, climbing one of the trees that they were trying to get cut down. And as he was up in the tree, he was deciding to use a, a bag as a place to go to the bathroom. And he was taking these bags and he was throwing them at the uh, the builders and the subcontractors and the tree guys. So you know, obviously he won up me with his story of craziness, of course, with this. But they had to end up calling in the the Portland police, and then they brought in the SWAT team. Of course, the Portland Police and the SWAT team didn't really want anything to do with this, so they told him that they couldn't remove Frogman because Frogman had a tactical advantage on them, being that he was higher up in a tree. So they had to just <laughs> let him be when the reality is they probably just didn't even want to touch this situation with a 10-foot pole because, as you could imagine, that could end up on the front page of the Oregonian, and based on general sentiments toward development, probably not be good for uh, the Portland Police Department. But yeah, anyway, I, I was just blown away to hear there's a guy named Frogman. He's for hire. He probably even has a Facebook page. I haven't looked yet, but I would bet that he does of some sort, so that neighborhoods that want to hire him can go ahead and uh, and do that. That's a crazy story, Tucker. We've had many, many crazy stories like that. It makes
1: me want to start a movement. You know how you always—I don't know if you see him as often, but you always used to see those bumper stickers on people's cars that said "Keep Portland Weird." I oh, want yeah. you and I to start a movement, and we'll have our own bumper stickers. That'll be something along the lines of, "Okay, Portland, let's be a." touch less weird.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Make Portland a little Take less down weird a notch. with like maybe Frogman with an X across him or something, you know, in a circle, like that would be, <laughs> so anyway, never, never short on uh interesting stuff that we see in the trenches here on the redevelopment side of the real estate business these days. But beyond that, I, there was also a conversation I had with Bruce, who was a previous guest on our show here, the rehabber that we had on a couple shows ago. And it ties in nicely to uh, our conversation here about the the market and the things that are kind of affecting it. But he had a project that he just put on the market up on uh, somewhere in, in the 60th and something in northeast. And it literally went for 40K over list. And it was on the market for just a couple of days. And, and this is in December, mind you, you know, with the worst weather we've seen ever. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. and, and so it's it's bananas out there in, in some of those pockets, you know, northeast, southeast and all over, really. It was kind of an entry-level price point, but it bid at 40k over list, which is crazy. Wow. So Anomalyze. that kind of takes us into, I guess, our main topic. A good segue to that, and that's going to be our market action report, which we both had a chance to take a look over it. And uh, maybe you know start off, Steve, with what you saw in the market action report, and then I'll jump in with some of the things I saw.
1: Sure, sure. And I have to say, we are seeing some of that as well. We've had some listings. I think my team right now has about 20 active listings. And some of them we've had for a few months and we're starting to get some activity, some serious activity. We just got an offer today on one that we've had listed for three, four months. And it's been a pretty quiet listing. It's a unique property. We're getting some good activity on some other ones. So you are correct. I mean, the market is popping. There is good activity out there right now. In this report, I mean, it's just been a fantastic 2015 They're kind of in this report, they're kind of starting to wind down the year by kind of saying, okay, in comparison to 2014, this is where we're at. And it's just staggering. I mean, pending sales were up 23% year over year. So that's,
0: that's a crazy stat,
1: right? Yeah. I mean, up 20, almost 25%. I mean, it's just, and then closed sales were up 19.8%. So huge improvements from 2014, which by no means was a bad year. We saw inventories went up just a smidge. But, you know, at first I was like, oh, inventories are now up to, you know, two months. We're back up to two months of inventory. And, you know, at a glance, that seems like it's gone up. But if you look back to 2014, November of 2014, we were at 3.2%. And in the November of 2013, again, these weren't bad years. We were at 3.7%. So inventory does tend to tick up just
0: a bit more this time of year.
1: Yeah, we're basically
0: half of what we were in November of 2013. Yeah. And last year was bananas. I mean, the the market was crazy all through last winter, and it was at 3.2 months. And this time this year, we're at two months.
1: Yep. And if you look historically, the inventory tends to really thin out and go down around February. In February of 2015, we were at three months inventory. In March of 2015, the next month, it went down to one9 And something similar happened the year before. So yeah, I mean, inventories do get a little bit higher this time of year, but the activity is great out there. What about you? What do you see in here?
0: You know, I think that those are all really good points. The other thing that I noticed, and this is kind of a forward indicator of things that I you know, look at moving forward, and that is that the number of new listings dropped significantly month over month from October to November which basically means it's less inventory coming on the market. And you know today, I, I always do kind of a general overview of what's going on in any given neighborhood that we're working in or that we're, you know, we've got deals potentially that we're going to be working on in. And, and I use the overhead view in Redfin. I know everybody has their own favorite tool, but I like the overhead neighborhood view in Redfin because I can see everything that's active and pending and sold, if you want to look at that too, from an overhead view. And you know the actives and pendings are green, the solds are blue if you do it that way. And you can pull up solds as far back as you want, but most importantly, you can pull up the actives and pendings. And literally every greenhouse in every neighborhood is pending, which unless it's priced you know, a little bit too high for the market or something like that, you've occasionally got those. But if it's priced within reason of market, I mean, literally everything's pending, which – right now in December holiday season to have that much stuff pending I mean that's just crazy I don't remember ever seeing this much stuff pending in a December right around Christmas in as long as we've been doing this and I just think that moving forward for January February March of course there's probably going to be an uptick you know I'm sure you've got a number of clients that are waiting for after the holidays to potentially list their homes that'll come on as new listings sometime in January uh, and there's probably another a, a number of other agents that are kind of similar but Man, I think the demand is still there, very strong. And I think as we head out of the holidays, we may have a little uptick in inventory, but we're going to need it because I think that uh, right now at this moment, inventory is probably like one month you know, really, it's so low of available inventory that can actually be bought. So I think that we're going to need it. But it seems like as as quickly as you can put good inventory on the market right now, it's going pending. And that's kind of against what happened. You know, we talked about a month ago, a month and a half ago, there was a little bit of a lull that seemed to happen. And I thought maybe that lull was going to stretch through the holidays, but it didn't. And, you know, that's crazy.
1: Well, I think that's a good segue into the last topic of our podcast today. Don't you think that buyers are getting off the fence and moving quickly because of the Fed funds rate.
0: I think that that probably is part of it. I think that maybe everybody listened to our show and said, hey, it's a great time to be a buyer and go out there and try and get those deals you couldn't get this summer, right?
1: It could be that, too. It could be that, too.
0: (laughs) But yeah, I mean, that's
1: been a big story here this week. For the first time in, I think, seven years, since December of 2008, the Fed has raised... The funds was it rate 2008
0: is, or I thought it was June 2006.
1: Well, the last drop was ah. by December of 2008. They took it to uh, near zero.
0: Right, right. But the last time they raised the Fed funds rate. Sorry. Yes. The, yeah, I'm sorry. Yes. June 2006. The, the last time they
1: touched the Fed funds rate. I'm sorry. Yes.
0: was which December makes it a big thing.
1: 2008. So, so it's just been sitting there idly with no movement whatsoever for going on seven years now. And it's kind of one of those confusing things. The average person out there, not related to the mortgage industry or the real estate industry, because I think most realtors kind of understand that mortgage rates are not directly tied to the Fed funds rate. But I would venture that most consumers don't. They, they hear, oh, the Fed funds rate is going up. That means the mortgage rates are going up in tandem exactly like that. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. I did a pretty substantial amount of research on this, and I came up with some pretty interesting statistics. First of all, the Fed funds rate is short-term interest rates, plain and simple, whereas 30-year fixed mortgage rates are tied to mortgage-backed securities as well as 10-year Treasury notes a little bit loosely on those. There's a lot of things that affect mortgage rates. Inflation is one of the worst things and that's that'll kind of work its way into this conversation as well. But one of the most compelling things I found out in researching this, do you remember when we were pretty new? I was we, I'd been in the mortgage industry for about a year in 2004. After 2001, we had a recession, right? We just had what they call the great recession. In 2001, I would call that the okay recession comparatively speaking.
0: I would say um, so. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so it was a much <laughs> milder recession. But nonetheless, it was a recession after um, 9-11. And so they dropped the Fed funds rate. Well, around middle of 2004, do you remember when they started raising that and we were pretty new in the mortgage industry and we everyone was running around saying the sky is falling, the sky is falling, rates are going to go way up and we're all going to drop. Yeah, funds. that
0: was right before the exact opposite happened.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, Here's, here's some interesting factoids about that time period. So from mid-2004 to mid-2006, the Fed hiked the short-term rate from 1% to 5.3%. So they raised it 4.3% over the course of basically two years. Do you know what mortgage rates did during that time period? they actually didn't drop but they may have had some drops in there they went on average from 5.8% to 6.3%. So, there is a correlation but it's not it's not a direct correlation like hey when when the fed funds rate goes up a quarter, mortgage rates go up a quarter.
0: Yeah, they uh, kind of like- bounced around a little bit cuz I remember god when they hit like 5 5.5% for the first time and I think that was somewhere in like 2004, 2005 it was like, call all your clients. It's 5.5%. It's time to refinance. And now if you told somebody 5.5%, they'd be like, "Uh, no, thanks. Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. The other thing that's really, and this was an interesting piece that I kind of came along, is the other thing that really does dramatically affect mortgage rates is inflation. Just talk of inflation will throw mortgage rates into a tailspin, right? Oh, yeah. And one of the things that I came across, they're, they're talking about is household expenditure, which would be your mortgage or your rent, makes up about 30% of inflation, which, which makes perfect sense, right? If you take the average person's income, what percentage of that goes to your household to, to maintain your household or you make your mortgage or your rent, it's probably around 30%. So because rents are up, And because of the shortage of housing, because the builders aren't adding as much inventory as is needed, there is a good possibility that that inflation could start to go up. And so that could affect mortgage rates.
0: And that, you know, just for people that are listening, so the advantage to those that own a home currently and have debt that's secured on long-term fixed rate mortgages. So as inflation kicks in, basically your dollar becomes worth less in a perfect world, you make more to compensate for that, but your mortgage payments stay the same. So over time, really, your mortgage payments become cheaper, even though we're having inflation occur. Does that make sense?
1: Yep. Yep. So what I was reading too was kind of falls back in line with what you said, Tucker. I mean, we just have kind of a skewed view of what's real in mortgage interest rates. The average rate in the 70s was 9% in the 80s was 13%. And in the even in the 90s, which isn't that long ago was 8%. So even even if they did tick up a little bit, I mean, we have so much room for them to to go up. And and yet for us to be way below average.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I think that, you know, remember back in 2005, 2006, 2007, as far as like, homes go, it was, people were kind of like, well, homes always go up by 10% a year. You know, it was kind of this never, never land. Like if it went backwards, it was like, no, it never would. And, you know, but now it's like, people think about rates that could be 6%, right? And like, oh no, never, you know? And it's like, well, it's a normal thing. And, And we were in the business back when rates were six percent they got under six percent and they hit five and a half and oh my god that was like the greatest day ever at that point in the in the mortgage business and I think that uh, you know people just have to kinda take a step back get a little perspective uh, you know look at history a little bit like you just kinda accounted for and say that you know what rates probably are gonna go up a little bit even if they're at six percent five and three quarters six and a quarter that's still really cheap money considering, you know, the course of history and where interest rates have been. And so I just don't see that as being a, a major damper on the real estate market moving forward. And there's also some charts out there that you can look at that really show that there is not much correlation between interest rates and the strength or weakness in a real estate market. Um, if you look at it over the course of time, since they've been keeping stats, you would think that there's uh, more of a, a, I don't know what the word is, but there's a more of a divergent relationship there. You know, if, if rates go down, it doesn't mean that the the real estate, market continues to get better. And if rates go up, it doesn't mean that the real estate market continues to get worse. So it's kind of an interesting relationship. I think there's a lot more factors at play, you know, like, for example, inventory. Inventory is a big thing, too. Um, You know, consumer confidence, all these things that, uh, you know, kind of weigh in. So I don't think that the the rates per se are going to make or break uh, the real estate market moving forward. And, and, you know, based on what the Fed said, and and you might have read more than I did, but they did say that they would Absolutely slowly raise rates over time. What that means, nobody really knows, but you know I think that that means that they will at least slowly raise them over two thousand and sixteen. Maybe there's one more rate hike right in two thousand and sixteen, or maybe there's two in total. but I don't think that's going to really throw us for a loop over the course of the next twelve to twenty four months in the real estate market. I just don't see that happening.
1: Yeah. And the thing you have to remember is rates are going up for a good reason. I mean, you have an improving economy, you have jobs being added. So you have to ask yourself as a real estate professional, what would you rather have? 3.5% interest rates with a 10% unemployment like we saw in 2009, 2010? Or would you rather have 5% interest rates and a healthy economy? I think we'll all take the latter all day long.
0: Yeah, that and, you know, a, a safe amount of inflation. You know, they're hoping to keep it somewhere between 2 and 3%. They don't want that number jumping way up either. But, you know, they have to eventually raise the Fed funds rate in order to try and prevent that from happening as well as a number of other things. So I, I think that it's a step in the right direction. I, I don't see it as a negative at all. I mean, I, honestly, I think that they should have done it before this. And I think that they'll probably do it at least one more time in 2016. But it just shows that, you know, they feel the economy has a floor under it. And I feel like the real estate market has a floor under it right now as well. So I, I think it's a good thing overall.
1: Yeah. And there was one other interesting component to what happened um, with the Fed this week. They made it in their statement they made the comment that they are going to continue. Uh, let me read this: "Is the committee is maintaining its existing policy of reinvesting principal payments from its holding of agency debt and agency mortgage-backed securities and agency mortgage-backed securities, and of rolling over maturing Treasury securities at auction." What that basically means, in a nutshell, I don't know if you remember Tucker, but in 2008, when everything was falling apart with the housing market and the and ultimately the economy. One of the things that the Fed finally figured out was that they could bring mortgage rates down by purchasing large supplies of mortgage-backed securities. And they really hadn't stopped that. And a couple years ago, they said they're not going to put new money into that but they are going to continue reinvesting the principal from the current funds that are in there which i read was it's a lot of money it's about 24 to 26 billion a month in reinvestments that they're taking and they're buying more mortgage backed securities so basically again they're just being the backstop and saying we will purchase all these mortgage backed securities out there which which drives the rates down so they are still continuing with that policy so in a nutshell I really don't anticipate rates going up dramatically outside of inflation. I mean, I think that's the wild card. If if inflation starts to tick up, then all bets are off. And, and there is a scenario where that could happen. But the reality is, even if that does happen, there's room for it in the uh, housing market. And I think it will. I think we'll all be OK. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think we will, too. I think, you know, the bottom line is, you know, 2015 has been a great year for you. It's been a great year for me. I think it's been a great year for the real estate market and, and as a whole, And, uh, you know, in Portland, it's really allowed a lot of areas to continue to grow into themselves. And uh, we're seeing a lot of changes that Portland's never seen. You know, we're seeing a lot of areas that have been historically crap that have changed a lot. And uh, over the course of the last year and the last two years, really, I mean, there's certain areas that you can't even recognize from what they once were. And I think that that's going to continue to to happen as we, we move forward into 2016. We've got a market that's got a strong floor under it. We've got a lot of demand for housing here. And so if you get a, you know, a a decently strong market and a lot of demand for housing, it's going to continue to help improve our city. And uh, hopefully people can just come to grips with that and understand that that's part of a city growing up and, and really growing into itself and continuing to improve. Very true. Well, I think we hit everything really good that needed to be talked about in terms of the market and also the Fed funds rate. Like I said in the intro, this is our last show of the year. So any parting words for 2015 for our listeners?
1: Have a great rest of the year those of you in listener land and we're excited for 2016. I think we're going to bring you a lot of exciting content here. And we've got some great ideas and some great guests in queue. And and I think we're somewhere in the next couple of months, we're going to even start recycling some of our guests that we had early on and bring them back. I'm excited to talk about TRID and the implementation of that now that we've had a little bit of a trial period with it, get some other stories of what's going on out there and also get some of our mortgage people on the show to tell us their take on what's going on with the Fed funds rate and some other exciting stuff.
0: Yeah, we've got a lot of great guests lined up, and specifically the next show, we're actually going to have a uh, individual that runs a large private money fund here in Portland that actually lends out to investors and people looking to buy homes. It's kind of an alternative to conventional money, so we're going to have a couple of the representatives from IronBridge lending on for the next show, but... I won't get too much farther into that. I I will say that I hope everybody out there listening does have a great holidays. You know, we're going to continue to bring on great guests and have great shows as we move into 2016. So I'm excited to see what becomes of the show as we move forward into the next year. So hopefully all you guys have a happy holidays. We're going to be wrapping it up for 2015. Steve, I'll see you on the next show. Sounds good. Thanks, Tucker. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next year.